Hello and welcome to today's TRADOC Leader Professional Development Program webinar. I'm your moderator, Jim Heft of TRADOC's Communication Directorate. Today's session is on spirituality and its effect on mental fitness. As most of you are aware, the Army released new doctrine in October, Field Manual 7-22, Holistic Health and Fitness. The H2F system is the Army's primary investment for enhancing soldier readiness and lethality in the 21st century. H2F is an all-inclusive initiative designed to integrate personnel, equipment, facilities, programming, and training into a single system of governance to produce physically and mentally tough soldiers. Spearheading the change in doctrine has been Major General Lonnie G. Hibbard, commander of the U.S. Center, U.S. Army Center for Initial Military Training. At the time the new doctrine was released, Hibbard said that H2F is the framework to encompass all aspects of human performance to include physical, sleep, nutritional, spiritual, and mental fitness. The ultimate goal, of course, is a strong and capable U.S. Army. So, today, we're talking about a component of H2F with one of the nation's leading experts of the impacts of spirituality on mental fitness, Dr. Lisa Miller. Dr. Miller is a professor of psychology and education at Columbia University Teachers College and is founder of the Spirituality Mind Body Institute, the first Ivy League graduate program in spirituality and psychology. She is joining us from Florida over Microsoft Teams. Hosting today's session is TRADOC's Command Sergeant Major, Daniel Hendricks, who is with me here in the studio. Welcome both. Sure, thank you. Dr. Miller, good to see you, ma'am. Good to see you again. So before I turn the conversation over to Sergeant Major Hendricks and Dr. Miller, I'd like to ask what's on your mind regarding this topic. In about 20 to 30 minutes, we'll start asking the questions from our Facebook live stream or the TRADOC website watch page. So don't be shy with your questions. Let me know what you think I should ask. I'll be checking your comments regularly throughout the program uh, right here. <laughs> so also for leaders, don't forget that these programs are not meant to be one and done. Even though we appreciate you watching and participating on chat, take the conversation into your squad or unit. Ask each other the tough questions and help build your cohesive team. With that, I'm pleased to introduce TRADOC's Command Sergeant Major, Daniel Hendricks. Sir, thank you very much. So I'm sorry, Major Hendricks, um, and I will just tell you I've had the opportunity to engage with uh, Dr. Miller on several occasions. Uh, the first time I actually heard her speak was when she was um, at headquarters department of the Army talking about a life worth living. And I would just tell you, uh, as we are dealing with the pandemic and some of the challenges our soldiers face, it was one of the most powerful briefs I'd heard in a very long time. And then just recently, uh, she was also uh, in the Army professional forum talking to us about the importance of a spiritually fit soldier. And so as I look at those issues that are facing us today and as we're, you know, coming out with new doctrine and a holistic health and fitness framework, uh, this, this fits right into that. And more importantly, uh, Dr. Miller is going to kind of help us understand that. And I'm really looking forward to the discussion today. So, Dr. Miller... It is an honor to talk to you today, and more importantly, I really look forward to this discussion after we hear the intro. Over to you, man. 
Well, it's an honor to be with you. I'm most appreciative of your invitation, and I too look forward to our discussion. I'm coming to you today as a clinical scientist and clinical psychologist of 20 years. And over this period of time, there has been a burgeoning, a very, very strong growth of peer review science, science that really wasn't available 20 years ago and has become quite strong in the past 10, 12 years on spirituality as the seat of resilience, strength and fitness and recovery. So to frame this for you, I invite you to take a look from the 10,000 foot aerial view out the window of an airplane down across our country. And where we stand as a country right now is that whether you're talking about young adults 18 through 25 in the Army, in higher education, three-level jobs, anywhere where we meet young adults, we now face epidemic rates of addiction, epidemic rates of depression and suicidality, and of unresolved trauma. And with this sharp increase, this sharp rise in inner suffering, there has been hand in hand in this tidal wave of cultural shifting and transformation, a loss of religious and spiritual life in the family. With every unit of increase in depression, anxiety, suicidality, there has been an equal decrease in family faith tradition observance, so much so that for the first time, higher ed, the army, we now receive a young adult who may never in his or her life had had the opportunity to be taught about personal faith, to have had a transcendent relationship of any form across any tradition. So in brief, 40 years ago, in a very good intentioned, well-meaning effort to be inclusive, we threw religion out of the public square. And when that happened, we threw the baby out with the bathwater and we now have a spiritually non-conversant society, young adults who may be strong physically, strong mentally, but never reach their full level of fitness and potential because they are disintegrated. They are not yet whole without the spiritual core. And so I commend the army as leaders. You move the needle for society in putting the spiritual core right back into whole person fitness whole person, young adult development. And I offer you this science as a roadmap in your ongoing leadership roles to help all of our country in this important new direction. Science, of course, does not define spirituality. Science can look at threads within lived spiritual life and say what else comes forward from a strong spiritual core. Now, in the United States, if you might consider two overlapping circles, spirituality and religion, a Venn diagram. The folks in the middle are about two thirds of our country. Two thirds of our country says I am spiritual and I am religious. My spiritual life, my deep felt sense of connection to the transcendent relationship, the sacredness in life, my spirituality is held in my religious tradition, my prayers, my sacred texts, my community. About 30% of millennials and fewer with each 
older generation says, I am spiritual, but I am not religious. I feel a deep connection to the sacred, my transcendent relationship in nature with my family and art or music. And a few people will say I'm religious, but I don't know what you mean by spirituality. Religion is my text, my people. That's it. Most people in our country have a strong spirituality, but yet not as many as was the case when religion played a larger role. Religion and spirituality are not the same thing. And what we now see, if we go down to the first slide, slide number six on the science of spirituality, is that we have a very powerful peer review science that says every single human being is born day one of our lives with an innate capacity for spiritual life. How do we know this? Through a twin study. We look at twins raised together, twins raised apart, and we factor out their degree of commonality as a fair shared function of genes and environment. So temperament is about half and half, whether someone's an extrovert or an introvert, whether they're open or private, these temperamental characteristics are born in us. If you've looked at a new baby, you know this, and they're developed about 50-50. The capacity through which we experience the transcendent relationship, our natural spiritual core, is one-third innate, two-thirds socialized. So as we are physical and emotional and cognitive beings, so too we are spiritual beings. And yet our formation is in the hands of our family, our community, our schools, and our army. Who are we to one another? Well, twin studies go another step. Twin studies done over time, longitudinal twin studies, show that with puberty, late adolescence, and emerging adulthood, we are in a critical window of formation. The two-thirds environmental impact, who are we to one another, has a particularly strong influence on the formation of the spiritual core from 18 to 25. The young adults who you receive are in your care when it comes to spiritual growth and formation. Now, no matter what religion they may be from, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, whether they are religious or not religious at all, they're in a state of innate spiritual formation. What's my meaning? What is my purpose? Actually, what is the meaning in life, in life itself? I hunger at this time for connection, for illumination. And in this process, the spiritual clock rings, the natural surge happens, and it can feel at times like I'm quite lost, like I have a half-empty glass of spirituality. What if there is no meaning? I don't know my purpose. And the hunger to transcend, it can take a tricky back road, a very tricky back road, which we'll look at in a moment if it's not supported. Supported by who? Well, now 18 through 25, that is my leader. That is my peer, my soldier peer. That is my family. That is the clergy, the chaplain. That is my commander. All hands on board. This is everyone's relational culture, who we are to one another, our values, how we talk, how we see each other. We all impact each other. And if the spiritual core is supported, next slide, we know there is nothing as profoundly protective against depression, addiction, and risk-taking. 
even suicidality. A strong spiritual core is more protective against these leading forms of inner suffering than anything known in the clinical or social sciences. How much so? An 18, 19 year old who says, I turn to my transcendent relationship for guidance. Nature is a spiritual home to me, daily spiritual awareness. Who says my personal spirituality, my spiritual core is highly important to me, is 80% less likely to become addicted to alcohol, to drugs, than the same age person from the same neighborhood and the same set of factors who doesn't know what you mean by that. A standard deviation above or compared to below the mean, and I turn to my higher power for guidance, my spiritual core is important to me, is 60% less likely to have major depression, 70% likely to have risk-taking, and 50 to 80% less likely to have suicidality, suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation. The most comprehensive study in clinical science to date is a study of all studies, a meta-analysis by Wu and colleagues, and it shows that if I have a strong spiritual life, I am 62% less likely to take my life, and I am 82% less likely, I am fourth less likely to commit suicide if I have a strong spiritual life shared with other people in community. Again, across any tradition or outside a tradition, the spiritual core is essential to health and thriving. We are innately spiritual beings and we need to strengthen, by way of analogy, this muscle to be able to lift the load that life will hand us. Next slide. The inverted U-shaped curve is perhaps the great testimony to who we are if we build the spiritual core. I invite you to look out along the x-axis as we move, move, move out to the right are increasing levels of symptomology of trauma. Everyone in this study, 3,000 plus vets, is a survivor of trauma. And as we move along the x-axis, we see more and more and more levels of symptoms that go with that trauma. Up the y-axis are units of growth. And when we step back and look at this, we see most people right there in the middle, the mean and the standard deviation on either side have a meaningful amount of growth right there, real time, hand in hand with the struggle with trauma. We don't get better and then grow. It is through trauma that we grow. And in fact, if we look on the left, we see those with less struggle, less trauma actually have growth, but not as much. And those on the far right are so flooded, they need our help to use trauma. But trauma is the gateway to a deepening of inner life. It can be engaged through the spiritual core to make us stronger, to make us bigger inside. It is a moment of growth if we engage it. It doesn't simply happen, it's work. And it's not easy. It's through this work of suffering and engaging the higher power, the transcendent relationship, the spirituality between us, that a deeper meaning, a rearrangement of meaning, and a deeper set of perceptions found. So much so, next slide, that 75% of vets who meet criteria for PTSD also report meaningful growth. And so much so, next slide please, that we see the spiritual core 
offers us a pathway of growth that is not customary in behavioral health. Behavioral health is extremely important, yes, to behavioral health. Diagnosis, perhaps meds, safety plan, and in the next lane, side by side, spiritual support, perhaps from the chaplain, perhaps from a peer or your commander, spiritual support, because you'll see the pathway to a deepening and a rearrangement of meaning, a sense that life herself is holding me up, my transcendent relationship sustains me, is at the foundational spiritual level. If we might have the next slide, this is where the seat of perception lives in the brain. These broad and pervasive regions in red are regions of cortical thickness, by way of analogy, the stronger muscle. Areas of processing power in regions of perception, reflection, and orientation. These folks represented here with cortical thickness across the red swarth are people with sustained spiritual life over eight to 10 years. In short, sustained spiritual life, again, with or without religion, whatever your tradition may be, Jewish, Hindu, Christian, Catholic, whatever your religion may be, strengthens the seat of perception. We are more able day in and day out to have growth when we build the spiritual core ahead of time. We are more likely to build the spiritual core within the seat of struggling and trauma so that it stays with us as we move ahead. So next slide, please. <coughs> when we build the spiritual core, we see that all across these regions of emotional and social processing, all across these regions of emotional, <coughs> when we build the spiritual core, are we on? Great. Good. Um, we see that all across these regions of social, emotional, ethics, decision-making, there's a very broad impact. The very same spiritual core that makes us resilient against addiction, the very same spiritual core that helps us recover from trauma, is the very same seat of awareness that gives us persistence, strength, character, a sense of higher service, and a felt sense of bonding with one another, that we're sisters and brothers. There's a common felt sense of oneness, of being a team, of caring for each other. We know each other's dignity. I see you right past however you're packaged and looking at this moment to the seat of your core. I look through your eyes with dignity to your core. That is a spiritual way of being, and that is all of ours. If we set this up, next slide, by the time we are 18, it lasts across our career in the Army. It lasts across our adulthood into our elder years with 90% stability. Young adulthood is the formation of the core that all of us being equal stays with us. We might struggle. We may step back and forward, tough times, dark times, but the core is built if it's built by the end of young adulthood. And how I treat my family, how I treat my teammates, do I see them? As people of great dignity, do I look right through to their core with interest, with encouragement? Sure, we might be competitors and we're on the same team. 
that is built now and it's built two thirds by my commander, my clergy, my chaplain, my leaders, my peers, my family, and it is the birthright of all of us. Last slide. So I invite now discussion with Command Sergeant Major. I'm so eager for your thoughts. Um, I so honor that you are the leaders putting the core back into wholeness, putting the core back into adult formation. And I look forward to our discussion. Ma'am, thank you very much. And, and I do have some questions. I know we also have some questions coming in on uh, and social media as well. So I'm, I'm going to start with a couple of things that I've noticed. And uh, General Funk does this. He's a commander of TRADOC. Uh, and he does this incredibly well and where you see it over time. And so anytime you know, he talks to soldiers, he asks them two simple questions, right? One, why, why did you join the military? Um, vast array of answers. And then really the second one comes to is, well, why do you continue to serve? which really gets to the, the heart of what I think we want to discuss. And I will tell you, time and time again, you will see they all have variations, but that service, to service for others, to do something greater than themselves, that altruistic framework that you use so very well. Can you, can you connect the spirituality piece of that to that service and how we have a pre-built framework uh, that will help our soldiers support themselves? Because I, I don't really think we quite understand it as well as we should. So you've raised one of the most important points in all of this science. You know, if spirituality is inborn, and we now know it is, so given that every one of us is born with the capacity for spiritual life, spiritual awareness, then if we look across all people, all traditions, all around the world, there should be both cultural, rich diversity, and there should be common universal awareness, a common seat of perception. And indeed, when we looked all around the world, we saw that no matter what religion I am from or none at all, no matter where I live on earth, I am hardwired to have a spiritual awareness that includes awareness of common interconnectedness, love as a mutative force. These are phenotypes. They're expressions of how we see the world based on our genes. I am more likely to have a moral code. I am more likely to have a practice of transcendence and the fifth phenotype. Remember, interconnectedness, love, moral code, a practice. The fifth phenotype is service. Service is a universal, spiritual, hardwired gift. And if we cultivate it, it is in our endowment. If we cultivate it, we realize our spiritual nature. Five phenotypes all around the world, natural spiritual awareness and essential to spiritual awareness is service, altruism. Now, here's the kicker. Let's go back to the red brains. We said, let's look at the relationship between these five different expressions all around the world of innate human spirituality and the brain. And of the five phenotypes, the five hardwired forms of human spiritual awareness, it was service, altruism, that had the broadest mapping onto the spiritual brain. So when we serve, and when we choose to serve, 
And as the general says, when we continue to serve, we are working out of the red brain. That is an act of deep spiritual commitment and awareness. No, that's fantastic, man. You know, this leads to an interesting question too, though. Uh, while we all may be hardwired for this uh, and we develop and cultivate this uh, over the course of, uh, you know, our initial 18 years, um, is there uh, anyone who, in particular, like if you're a male or a female, does spirituality affect you differently? Um, as you get older, does spirituality affect you differently? Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Thank you. So spirituality is all of ours. As you, you know, say, every single one of us is born with the spiritual core. And yet there are developmental periods in our life where there's a surge, a, really a hardwired biological clock. We spoke of one just now, the 18 through 25 year old is in a place of very sensitive formation. The late adolescent, the young adult is actually better at this, um, quicker to sense misalignment and hungry for alignment between beliefs, values, and action. Um, very curious and hungry to know the nature of life itself and my place in this world. Um, eager to know the nature of the higher power, the transcendent relationship, and live accordingly. So there was a study done by Benson and colleagues all around the world with late adolescence and emerging adulthood, no matter where I'm from, these capacities boot up and no matter what tradition is dominant in my country, I suddenly seek a deep connection with the higher power and I want to live truthfully and authentically in alignment with the nature of goodness. So we have great natural potential. Um, and if it is left willy nilly and unwinds, the young adult is particularly susceptible. A lot of the hunt for transcendence, if it's left unsupported, can go into that quick back door, the tricky, you know, shoots and ladders. Well, that's the, the shoot of addiction. Trying a little drugs, a little alcohol feels kind of transcendent. It's like a false reef. And young adults know this. They're completely aware of this uh, slippery back door. Another piece, the existential hunger, the dig, you know, people who work with youth tell me in my counseling practice, two thirds of young adults are not pathology per se. This is adult formation, what I call developmental depression, the hunger unmet for spiritual growth and awareness. And most tricky of all are false mentors. Young people are very susceptible to nihilistic or poor messengers if authentic ambassadors of the truth, authentic people who embody love and commitment and the five phenotypes are not there, they go shopping and they can find very poor misguided mentors, which we have seen lead to extremism and nihilism. So it is very important to meet the young adult where he or she is. Another period of rapid formation is midlife. And again, ready or not, whether anyone ever told us at midlife, there is again a biological clock and a deepening and a hunger for purpose and connection, both ultimate purpose and my place in this world. This hunger is seen in people in their 40s and 50s. We call it midlife crisis, but that doesn't give it justice because at the deepest level, at the spiritual core, at midlife, we need support and reflection. 
And in fact, it's often someone who has been spiritually connected that has the deepest dive at midlife of suffering and struggle. This is important because depressive decisions can be very poor decisions. They can be nihilistic. And with a hunger and a lostness in a spiritual or existential 52-card pickup, there can often be a natural narcissistic defense where I you know, act in ways that are not to the benefit of the people around me. So decision-making is very important at midlife, and it needs spiritual support. The spiritually supported decision is made through the red brain. A spiritually supported decision takes into account a broader field of information. I use an attentional network, which is much broader reaching. It takes into account the impact of my choice on others. I use a region of the brain that looks at the part-whole relationship. And it is based on the notion that life itself in its deep germ is good. And those three things, to see, feel, and know life is holding, embracing the impact I have on others, and to be able to make a better informed decision, looking right and left, is a spiritually supported decision. That is why uh, spiritual support at all phases is important. Outstanding, man. So we've got a question coming in that uh, ties directly to, uh, it's almost a follow-up. And it says, uh, it's coming in on the Facebook page. It says, as we live our life with spiritual emphasis, talking about our beliefs, values, and our connections, how do we bring that into our organizational life in a way that's inclusive so you don't almost, so you don't feel overbearing? And I, this is a really good question, and it's, and it's hard to figure out that balance. So it'd be really good to hear your uh, your point on that one, ma'am. We've looked at a number of organizations that want to move towards being more spiritually supportive. And we've looked at organizations that have uh, very often their whole mission statement has, has explicitly been about service uh, to the higher power in one tradition or another. And we've looked at organizations outside of any faith tradition. And the question as it's put is, absolutely as well-conceived as possible. How do we do this in a way that is inclusive and is part of the very fabric of our organization? And here's what we found, that spiritual support comes in relational culture. It's in our relationship to one another every day. The 10,000 exchanges that show our values, who we are to one another. It is held every single living, breathing moment in our culture it's articulated in our mission statement, and it's vertically integrated. The way one speaks to two is the way two speaks to three, and three to four right down the line. It is absolutely held in relational culture. Some features of relational culture that are concrete and actionable, and we have found to be consistent amongst most spiritually supportive organizations, to give you a taste um, of some, are as follows. A language that holds the sacredness, the transcendent relationship in a way that's inclusive and universal. So it's not my faith tradition or the next person's, but we have ideas such as um, presence, dignity, care, and our relationship in the first person, our relationship in the first person to ultimate reality or the transcendent relationship. There's a, there's a language in place 
that holds room for everyone, including the atheist and the virtuous humanist, to have a transcendent relationship of ultimate significance. So there is a language um, of sacredness, a language of transcendence, a language of accountability, uh, that our values are more than cherry-picked, but they come from the way life is built itself. Axiomatic to caring and surviving and being fit and ready is an understanding of life itself. And that has not just a morality, but an ultimate morality. So there's a language. Second, every spiritually supportive organization we've seen has a practice. Now, that can be one of silence and reflection. It can be one, often it is mindfulness plus. Mindfulness is outstanding to quiet us. It stops the racket. It gets us to the threshold of readiness and then we cross the threshold to a form of receptive reflection. Um, some people call it espacia, which means space. Some people call it um, heart centering, but it's a receptive practice of drawing into relationship with the implicate order, the deeper order of life, uh, the, the sacred order in life. So language, tr shared transcendent moment or practice. Pluralism. You know, when we threw the baby out with bathwater and silenced religion 40, 50 years ago, we actually took a great stroke against diversity and inclusion. We now have a wonderful nationwide led in large part by the army around inclusion and diversity, around gender, around sexual orientation, around ethnicity and race. Can the army again lead around inclusion and diversity around faith and spiritual life? Can I listen to you with great interest as you speak in the first person in your tradition and you respectfully hear me, not just not as I speak in the first person in mine, including alongside the Catholic, the Christian, the Hindu, the atheist, the humanist, that we can know and care and take an interest in each other as we would along any other diversity table, as well as universal place and space being held in our relational culture. So those are three examples, a language, a practice, and pluralism. There's some structural ones too, I'll give you just one example. We found that spiritually supportive organizations have a vertically integrated mission statement that one to two, as I started to talk about, uses the mission statement probably 15 times a day to explain what we're doing right now. And what we're doing right now is realizing the deep nature of the soldier, realizing the deep nature of the employee the student. Above and beyond their performance today, there is something hardwired, built within them of ultimate value. And whether they're hired or fired or promoted or demoted, I look through them and I speak to them at that level. That is a structural integration of who we are to one another. And one last structural piece, um, there is a point person, although this is everyone's job and everyone's business and everyone's relational culture, there is always a point person. It may be your chaplain, it could very well be your chaplain, who holds the spiritual voice and is welcomed in all important moments and meetings, even and authorized to say something that seems of step or unpopular at the moment, we respect them, we pay them, we hold that line, job line, to be a spiritual voice for us. You are way ahead for having a chaplaincy. Ma'am, I will tell you what I, what I took from that and just kind of to, to condense it down into 
you know, a language for soldiers. That, like what I hear you saying is exactly what we're trying to get after associated with, you know, this is my squad, building a cohesive team. It starts with that relational culture. It starts with just engagement, showing folks that you care, you know, living your life through the Army values. So as you went through that and you kind of framed that out, I would tell you we have a, you know, as you look at things like loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, all of these are built into our culture, and it's the, that relational kind of connection um, because it, it is. It's, you know, as much as I like to look at the chaplain corps or, you know, our higher level leaders or even behavior, whatever the framework is, when we have a soldier in trouble, the individual that really is, you know, that first point of contact, that relational culture that you talked about, is going to be that first-line leader. And so I, I think this is a really good point. You know, you raise such an important point, uh, which is you already have so much in place. And as the leaders in this direction for our country, you have this further along built than many organizations. And you also have the relational fabric that's ready to sort of you know, turn up the volume on spiritual life. Again, it's not my tradition laid upon the next guy. It's not about conversion and coercion. And it's about honoring deep spiritual core, the deep spiritual core and speaking to that. Um, if we might actually, if we could pull up the slide, I we'll do it later. Um, you know, when we see each other through the spiritual core, then there's a different kind of relationship formed. You know, our relationship is about knowing you with full dignity as a being of infinite worth. You might see a soul on earth, a child of itself. And then on a tough day, there's a little more forgiveness. And if I'm really angry, I wouldn't dream of annihilating you, but I would try to work it through or cool off and then work it through. We're more like bunkmates at camp or siblings. We're not only you know rivals on tough times. On the upside, when we feel that deep common sense of my core and your core, we're here on a mission together. We're here to reach new heights, to encourage each other. You are my sister, you are my brother, and that's unstoppable. I mean, that's the level of group fitness that is uniquely a spiritual army. We are getting so many great questions that are coming in uh, through the Facebook feed as well as our watch page. Um, you have certainly struck a chord, Dr. Miller, and folks are paying attention uh, and they're appreciating this very much. So uh, thank, thank you again for this fantastic conversation. One question that we got is, is there a measurable difference between individual spiritual practice and public spiritual practice, for example, private devotion, prayer meditation, or going to a church, synagogue, temple uh, for worship. Uh, is there a, a difference in measuring that practice? Thank you for that excellent question. The clinical science has looked at both of those, both private practice and shared practice. And both are very important. Both have a great impact, a deepening of interiority on a deepening of my inner life, the strengthening of my spiritual core. The more I talk to my transcendent relationship, the more I feel aware and the pipeline is open, the more that builds and it opens up and every day looks different. I'm walking on a different landscape and my relationships are more full of love and interest and encouragement. 
private practice matters, shared practice matters. And if you look through the lens of science, the red brains, the regions of deepened perception and reflection, so that I make better decisions in the snap moment, so that I see you in a more productive, highly collaborative way. That practice of the brain comes through spiritual awareness. It comes through both private and shared. That said, both are important, both lead to the red brain, both open up the world and change everything for me, social, emotional, ethics, teamship, sister, brotherhood. It is important to have both, whatever your practice may be. The group um, does add something that being alone does, does not. And the, what the group adds is an added um, support, spiritual support, is different than other forms of social support. Spiritual social support is unconditional. You see me as a child of infinite worth, a soul. You see me as with ultimate you know, love, no matter what I've done or not done, right? And that doesn't mean that I don't succeed or fail, get punished or not, but you see me as a soul on earth. And that is another way of being known. I can be forgiven, I can be renewed, I can be deepened and trauma can be a gateway to a strengthening. Trauma can open into a light and an awareness that reshuffles meaning, that opens up my sense of being worthy and being able to honor you, my family, you in my squad. So um, spiritual social support is very important. The second thing that's found is that not only do I know I will be received and I will be loved, but I know that I will be giving that to someone else. And if we go back to what makes people in the army special, why are soldiers different than the guy next door? It's because the front foot is service. Service is hardwired a spiritual way of being. People who serve are spiritual. And so just as I know I will be seen with love when I practice collectively, I know I will give love and I will serve. And that form of service, spiritual, social support, who am I to you? Why, of all people on earth, was I put here now next to you in your time of trial? Why is it you who've asked me to reflect, to walk, to pray by your side? That honor and that opportunity is profoundly spiritually transformative for both people. We know this. So both matter, private and public. Sergeant Major, let's, let's talk a little bit about the practicalities of what's happening here within the Army, uh, both for soldiers and for civilians. You know, the holistic health and fitness program, um, the chaplain program, the, the, just basically the programmatics that are out there. We, we've gotten several questions on this. Uh, one specifically that's uh, been flashed right up at me right here is at the installation community services and program level, are we working to incorporate broader wellness activities such as personal reflection, mentorship, volunteerism, meditation, yoga, and care for the holistic body. Do you have uh, any other suggestions to help us better incorporate spiritual wellness? I think that's more for you, Dr. Miller, um, but also Sergeant Major, just at the Army level, what are the things that we're doing to look after the soldier and the civilian? So as, as we look at this, and I'll, I'll start at a, a large, matter of fact, I just had a discussion with uh, General Hibbert, you know, CMT, who has a focus on our holistic uh, health and fitness framework. And so we're very quick to understand from military perspective, physical fitness, right? And, and rightfully so, we, everybody jumped in on the, the ACFT 
and moving out with that cultural shift. But there, there are other components of that that I think are underappreciated, uh, but just as equally in it, and at times more important. And I would say absolutely more important. And so what do I mean by that? So as you look at the spiritual framework of this, and Dr. Miller has hit it several times, you know, when we get into these periods of trauma, well, what does trauma mean for, you know, a combat soldier, um, somebody who's deployed a lot? When, when you face your mortality, um, I would just personally tell you, uh, I don't know too many folks who have kind of gone through that framework and don't have a spiritual side, right? So it goes back to the, hey, there are no atheists in foxholes. And so there's, there's that framework of it, but I would say even here at home, as a matter of fact, Dr. Miller and I had a great opportunity to engage two of our youngest soldiers who went through this trauma. Um, and so it was, it was powerful to see how their mindfulness, spirituality, and at times religion uh, allowed them at an incredibly young age to overcome um, some pretty horrific uh, scenarios, some that happened prior to joining the military. Uh, and some that they were witness to. And matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to let Dr. Miller kind of give her perspective on that, and then I'd love to come back and talk to you about the programs that I think we're doing at the Army, that, that these are, you know, kind of the, the real-world vignettes of how important this is. Sure. You know, that was perhaps one of the more meaningful moments in my life, and I want to thank you for the introduction to those two young soldiers. Um, what both of them shared, and, and it was quite remarkable, was before ever coming to the Army, before ever showing up on day one, both soldiers had experienced a revolving door of more and more and more trauma, disappointment, abandonment, the one after the next, um, really tough, tough uh, losses and um, mistreatment, um, terrible struggles. And as one soldier said, you know, she said, you know, all of that disappointment, you know, you're being taken from your parents, this parent being addicted, mistreatment by this person who was to be caring for you. Hasn't that just made you not believe in anything. And what the soldier said was, no, it's the opposite. With each challenge, I have turned to my higher power, my, my transcendent relationship, and it's strengthened stronger and stronger. There's been months of anger, times feeling cut off. But when I, in her case, pray, uh, some people do this, in her case, pray, Grew closer and closer, lifted, felt held, felt carried through. And so for her, each reminder her stronger and stronger in her relationship with her transcendent relationship to the point that sitting there speaking with her over a screen was a young person um, who felt vast, the, the power, the presence. Her, her spirit, the presence of her neurons. And how did she now live that out each day? She lived it out in personal practice, reflection and prayer, and she lived it out in helping other people. And I don't mean proselytizing or handing them her faith. I mean showing up what some of the ministry of presence and this spiritual connection, sitting by someone's side, 
as pluralistically they pray or meditate or reflect in their own way and in your own way, pluralistically, respectfully, she showed up for others. She showed up in service. She became an agent of spiritual social support. Dr. Miller, so that, um, that, I think we definitely got the point on that. You're breaking up a little bit, um, and, and we'll come back uh, again to further explore this particular question because I know that uh, Sergeant Major is eager to do so. Um, but on the topic again of, of what the Army is actually uh, trying to accomplish here, um, you know, both uh, I think Roy, Roy Williams and Kevin uh, Haran on Facebook asked a question regarding the Army developing a metric um, for spirituality. And then uh, Joseph Wood talked about uh, what do leaders at every given echelon do um, in order to develop spirituality. And then there, there's this great question that, that's on the screen here. What are non-religious ways? I mean, we're, we are, uh, you know, in, in a, in a uh, multi-dimensional army here. There's a lot of people of many different faiths. Um, how do we grow as one team, one fight in, in non-religious forms to grow spirituality? So, great question. And it would almost seem like uh, this was... Um, set up specifically for this, but I would tell you it was not. So I, I have in front of me, and um, it is FM 7-22 Holistic Health and Fitness. And I will tell you, everybody, like chapter 10, chapter 10 in there is all about spiritual fitness, how it fits into the greater framework uh, of that holistic approach that the Army's taken. And so, you know, in the Army, you always kind of track, uh, we, you know, we can put bumper stickers and slogans up there every day, but this is one of the things that I've seen that the Army has put two things behind it that, um, that really shows they're all in on this. And so, one, uh, they're putting the right kind of talent and expertise associated with it. Uh, two, they're also with that, getting it down to soldiers at the lowest level in those battalions and brigades. Uh, and, you know, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Two billion dollar program uh, to get after this because as we look at it, it is a key framework, uh, you know, for the people strategy and really moving out with what matters most to the United States Army. Absolutely. And, and regarding non-religious ways to grow one's spirituality, uh, Dr. Miller, what, what do you think an individual can do uh, if maybe they don't have um, what I would call, you know, maybe more streamlined or well-known uh, faith-based backgrounds? So we actually have at Columbia and help people re-enter their natural spirituality. It's on the language of life called awakened awareness. This is all ours. It doesn't matter if I know that someone teach me about Catholicism, anything at all. Um, we do have this a quarter inch surface and it can be brought out in relationship. It can be brought out through uh, a series of stepwise practices. And a lot of work involves um, noticing doors opening and closing in life, noticing who comes to you, when and where, seeing that we don't live on an inert, dead world, but we live in a very much alive world where people do show up for one another and where it's essential that one opportunity slams closed so that I might turn and see another open. We call that the road of life. 
We also use um, contemplative practices um, that are, you know, I will say that came to us through people who worked um, with young adults who struggled with <clears throat> uh, feeling cut off from spiritual life. Very oftentimes, um, the work as it ends up in um, because adults are cut off from bad messengers. So if I can if I can add in here as we talk about that non-religious ways uh, of getting after spirituality and it's it's interesting as I um, as I actually opened the manual and look at it and read it I was like I I actually do that and so matter of fact one of the things that uh, I've always done throughout my career is uh, journaling and so whenever you come across a tough situation or a leader that you think is not doing the right thing I would tell you. It, it probably saved my career more times than I care to count. Uh, so instead of expressing my frustration um, in an inappropriate way, I would go back and kind of capture that in writing. And uh, it gave me some time and space, and I think it helped me create uh, what I call, you know, that the mindfulness framework um, that has helped me and served me so well throughout my military. And so other things in here, you know, you heard Dr. Miller kind of talk about you know, you know, the military is already in a service framework, but that charity aspect, um, it, it, as I get the opportunity to talk to our youngest soldiers, some who have gone through some very traumatic events, uh, I was very interested to see the, the uniqueness, or not so unique, of their ability to give and help others and how important that was to their own health. Uh, journaling, hospitality, you know, meditation, and this is the, and this is the thing that I'll, I'll ask Dr. Miller to kind of jump in on. So a lot of folks get really kind of nervous when you put a religious framework on it. And I would tell you, as you look at something like meditation, um, and we've got several programs going right now with mindfulness, with yoga that really gets after a meditation framework. There is a way that you can look at the spiritual framework and readiness um, that you're comfortable with. Um, and I would just ask if you can talk on that, Dr. Miller. Sure. So mindfulness and yoga are wonderful practices at quieting the racket. It, I could be obsessed with something round and round, spinning round and round. You know, I should have done better. I should have done better. Or he wronged me. He wronged me. He wronged me. And it really cleanses us. It quiets us. It makes us present. And then we can engage in a receptive form of reflection, see what um, life itself is showing me, what is the guidance. Opening up the pipeline is what all of the research says is the cornerstone of decision-making, fitness, persistence, resilience. Opening up the perceptual pipeline through the red brain. I can do a one-minute exercise, shall I, that does that? That'd be great, um, we have that time. Super. So having quieted your mind with mindfulness, having taken seven breaths, and we'll take a couple, I invite you into this. It's in the language of life. Um, and everyone who's ever done this, um, again, it's an invitation, has found it to be helpful. I'm going to invite you to take three breaths and close your eyes and do a one-minute um, visualization. So three breaths. I invite you to open up your inner space and set before you a table. This is your table. 
And to your table, you may invite anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. Anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. And with them all sitting there at your table, ask them if they love you. And now to your table, you may invite your higher self, the part of you that's much more than what you did or didn't do, what you have or don't have, your true, eternal, higher self. And ask your higher self if you love you. And now finally, you may invite your transcendent relationship, your higher power, whatever word that may be, your true higher power, and ask if they love you. And now with all of those people sitting there right now, what do they need to tell you? What do you need to know? What do they need to let you know? What do they need to tell you? This is your counsel and they're always there for you shows up may change based on what's going on in your life right now and you can ask them anything you want but those who truly have your best interest in mind your higher true self and your own understanding of the transcendent relationship are always there for you and what you just did was open the pipeline in relationship that is when you quiet your mind the opportunity to cross into spiritual awareness in the language of life, it is yours. Mm. That is your red brain at work. That was tremendously powerful. Uh, I truly appreciate you running us through that exercise. And I can't thank you enough for the conversation that we have had today. Uh, I, I've just simply learned so much uh, there, as someone who has grown up in a mainline denomination um, and still uh, practicing in a mainline denomination, connecting the role of spirituality to that faith I, I, I find tremendously important. And so Dr. Miller, um, you know, on behalf of all of TRADOC uh, and everyone, thank you very much uh, for, for being here. I do turn the floor back over to you though for a, a, a few closing remarks if you have them. Thank you. I think you've put that in such a wise way, which is the spiritual core is all of ours and it lives within any faith tradition and it lives outside a faith tradition. But as a devoutly religious person, I don't need to change or give anything up. Um, my spiritual core is realized and I can listen with great love and interest to someone outside a faith tradition or in another faith tradition for the resonance of their spiritual core. And that relational spirituality is all of ours. It's something that the more we say and the more we practice and the more we make natural, the more we find our community shifts and our teams are stronger and we're united in common purpose, common mission, because we are one, we are one team. So this has been a great honor. Thank you for including me today. Thank you.
Sergeant Major, any final thoughts? No, absolutely. And so, ma'am, it is always good to see you again. And uh, th these discussions, I, I think, have helped me along as well as uh, we got to talk to those two soldiers as well. Uh, the, the one piece that I would say is we are in, you know, as I look at 30 years of service, um, probably some of the most trying times that, you know, I've faced not only in my adulthood but my life as you look at, now, being deployed uh, when this year started uh, and what was going on in Iraq with Iran and our own embassy getting attacked to, you know, COVID and a, a global pandemic. And now as the Army is seeing um, the impacts of that, and, you know, we've talked a lot about it here today in the, the three corrosives. Um, this is a great framework to kind of help you with a foundation. And we didn't really get a chance to talk to it. Um, but we've got a lot of soldiers that, you know, they are in that 18 to 25 period and they didn't grow up with that intergenerational spirituality. And so I think this is going to be a great first step uh, to help them on that road and give them a tool uh, that they may not only help themselves to deal with some, you know, future problem that's coming their way or more importantly, uh, where they can reach out and be charitable and help one of their teammates uh, with these same kind of issues. So thank you again, and I uh, look forward to continuing this discussion, ma'am. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I feel like you're describing a culture of prevention, that what you're calling the corrosives don't get treated down here. You're creating a whole culture of prevention and fitness. And I credit you and I thank you because you do move the needle for society. The Army is what becomes the new standard. So I am grateful to be here. I thank you. Excellent. Dr. Lisa Miller with the Teachers College of Columbia University. Again, we thank you very much uh, for, your, for your time today. It's, it's been fantastic. But we are going to continue on with these webinar series. Join us for the next LPD webinar on 13 January, 1100 Eastern, featuring retired General Carter Ham, President and CEO of the Association of the United States Army. General Ham will speak to us on ethical leadership. Until then, keep the conversation going. Build your cohesive team. Victory starts here. <laughs>